Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm really excited about this morning. It's, it's a challenging message. It's something that's kind of, I've gone around and around. And it's, it's probably one of the most challenging questions that I get. And that's, what is it going to take to see revival? Now, you may not know what revival is. Uh, to revive means to live again. Vive in Latin, I believe it is, uh, means live or life. And re Vive, revive, means to live again. So it's something that was alive, and then it maybe died or uh, wasn't thriving. And I, when I think about revival, I think about a fire. It's the most, one of the most obvious illustrations. I don't know if you've ever been camping or not, or perhaps you've had a fire pit at your house, or you've uh, lit a fire and burn somebody's house down. I I don't know. Uh, But, you know, when the fire goes down, it starts to smoke, and it's not pleasant. When the fire starts to go out, uh, that smoke, and that it's not giving off heat, it's not beautiful to look at anymore, starts to smell. And, And sometimes that's the way our lives are. Sometimes we're not burning bright for God. We're not burning bright in life. We don't have a lot of joy, a lot of happiness, our attitude, which is our, our, our nose up or no, nose down. It's an aviation term, actually. If the plane's climbing, the nose of the plane is up. If the, if the plane's descending, the nose of the plane goes down, and that's called attitude. Our attitude begins to really get bad, and everybody notices, what's going on with you? you you're, not, you're not happy. And, and sometimes, well, often, in fact, daily, if not hourly, I need to be revived. And there is a bigger picture with revival other than just personally being revived, and that is what is it going to take to revive God's church? And I'm not just talking about this local congregation, but I'm talking about the church in the world. I'm talking about all of our dear brothers and sisters from all the different countries around the whole planet. People are crying out for revival. They want the church of God to live, to be bright, to burn bright, to have a beautiful fragrance in the world, to not stink up the world, and to uh, be a force of good in society. What is it going to take for revival? Now, the answer to that question is like a puzzle. In fact, I've uh, entitled this morning's message, uh, Missing Pieces of Revival. Because it's a mystery for most people. They don't know the answer to that. Some people say prayer. Prayer. If we would just pray more. I agree. Prayer is definitely one of the major pieces of revival. If you're not praying to God, if you're not uh, on your knees, so to speak, dependent upon God, and praying for not just your own needs, but others' needs in the church, then revival's not going to happen. All the revivals of the past, and we could... Uh, look back throughout history. There were major revivals throughout history. In fact, some of those revivals were so impacting, like the Welsh revival uh, in Wales. They shut down all the, there was no need for the police anymore. The prisons 
were empty because there was no crime. The church actually took center stage in society and became an answer to society's problems to the point where people weren't, weren't going out, drinking, getting off their face, committing all these crimes. There was nothing to do for the police except direct traffic for people wanting to go to church. And it, uh, somebody commented about the Welsh revival. It seems like all of Wales has been saved. But like anything, you can get the fire going, but if you're not adding wood to the fire, if you're not putting fuel on that fire, if you're not letting the oxygen, the air get into the fire, it'll start to go down. Again, revival's not lasting. It doesn't happen and then keep on going without any effort. The fire has to be stoked. There has to be more fuel put on the fire. Some people say that revival is going to happen through revival meetings. And I, I love a revival meeting where everybody gets together, all the churches get together and get a guest speaker, special music. Uh, there's a crowd, so there's going to be life and everybody's, you know, standing on their feet cheering and this is, this is great. It's a, it's, a, it's a great component or a piece in revival, but it's not going to bring lasting revival. There's a lot of people's opinions when it comes to revival. But what is it really going to take to see exploding new growth in the church and to see something come alive? I don't think a guest speaker is going to do it. Some people say persecution. Well, the persecuted church, if, if we would just get persecuted, we'd have revival. I've been in countries where there was intense persecution, but there wasn't revival. I've preached in Vietnam, I've preached in Russia, I've preached pretty well all over the world, uh, except, in fact, on every continent except Antarctica, and I'm working on Antarctica, just that you got to go down there for a whole year in the freezing cold, so uh, maybe, maybe not, <laughs> I don't know, but persecution in itself won't bring revival, and I kind of don't want to be persecuted to have to get revived. I don't know about you, but I quite like it uh, to not be beaten and flogged and put in prison for my faith. I kind of like the freedom to do what we do. So what are the pieces, and, and, and how do we place those pieces? That's what I want to talk about this morning, is the pu puzzling pieces of revival. What is missing? The missing pieces of revival. I want you to go with me to the book of Acts, where else would you start? If you want to look at the early church in revival, you go to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4. And there's a two-letter word, and sometimes it's a four-letter word, that I want us to focus on as we read through this. Sometimes we read through it, and we miss some of the most important things. And I believe that the keys are here for us today to see what was dead or what's gone down in brightness, the fire to come back to life so that we can actually walk out our Christian life and be a blessing in our society, be a light in a dark world, be the answer to all the myriad of problems that we see all over the planet, not just to chime in in a chorus of doom and, and gloom and prophecies and, and, and all of that about how bad everything's going to hell in a handbasket. I would rather think that God is on the throne, that there are answers in this world to this world's problems, and that the church has that answer, that the church is a blessing in society, not a scourge in society. 
So what's it going to take? Acts chapter 4, verse 29. And I'm going to highlight or emphasize uh, these words when we come to them because I didn't count them up, but there's quite a few here. It says, so now, Lord, listen to their threats. Religion was threatening the early church. It always does. It gets threatened. And listen to their threats to harm us, 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 <laughs> empower us as your servants to speak the word of, uh, of God freely and courageously. Stretch out your hand of power through us to heal and to move in signs and wonders by the name of your holy son, Jesus. When there's revival, there are signs and there are wonders. What's a sign and a wonder? It's when somebody goes, I wonder what that means. That's a wonder. Somebody's getting healed. There's miraculous things that start to take place. As they, that's the four-letter word, as they prayed, the earth shook beneath them, another great four-letter word, causing the building they were in to tremble. And each one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit as they proclaimed the word of God with unrestrained boldness. I love verse 32. This is amazing. All the believers were in one mind and one heart. Selfishness was not a part of their community. Oh, wouldn't that be good if we could honestly say that selfishness was not a part of the church today. The people were with one heart and one mind, and, and, and unity prevailed, and we, were, we had unrestrained boldness. All the believers in one mind, one heart, selfishness was not a part of their community, for they shared everything they had with one another. I, I look at that, and it challenges me so much, it just slaps me in the face and beats me up. I look at that and I think, my goodness, wow, no wonder there was revival. And then verse 32, the apostles gave powerful testimony about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. In other words, he's not a dead Jesus, he's alive. A dead Jesus does nobody any good. If he didn't come out of that tomb, if he wasn't raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father, if he didn't send the Holy Spirit into our lives to fill each one of us, then we just got a religion going on. And it says this, selfishness was not a part of the community, and great measures of grace, verse 33, rested upon them all. And some who owned houses or land sold them and brought the proceeds before the apostles to distribute to those without not a single person among them was needy. Wouldn't that be a great testimony for our society today? Not a single person among them was needy. There is incredible power in revival, but there's also an incredible or a big price when it comes to revival. In other words, revival's not going to fall in our laps. Revival's never going to come cheap. Revival's not going to come just because uh, of a little bit uh, of effort. In fact, this morning, the missing pieces, or I'm just going to singular it, the missing piece 
of revival is what I want to share with us this morning. It's something challenging, and it's something that challenges me all the time as a pastor thinking about, how could this possibly happen? How are we really going to see real revival? Now, I have been to some of uh, what was called revival, but I don't believe it was. I've been to Pensacola. I've been to... uh, you know, the vineyard, the laughing, we, we had a lot of joy. We've had some outpourings of, of God, but not revival, not really. It's little bits of revival. But what, I'm, what I want to share with you this morning, I believe, is legit, real, living revival. What is it going to take? What's missing out of the church today for revival and, and more challenging? How, how will we get this into this church or your church if you're watching online, because there's incredible power in revival, but there's also incredible sacrifice. The thing about revival, in fact, the thing about the kingdom of God, it's not an individual event. If revival was a sport in the Olympic Games, it would not be an individual event where somebody's going to stand up and get the gold medal and be the superstar. That's not going to happen. God doesn't share his glory with anybody. And it's not going to happen because any one of us is that great that we're going to usher in revival into the planet. Revival is not an individual event. See, kingdom is collective. Culture is a collective term. Community is a collective term. The church is a collective. Family is a collective I marvel. I watch um, anybody like David Attenborough. Well, nobody? You're kidding me. I don't even have anybody. Okay, a few hands coming up. Be a little more response. Help the, help the preacher out. Even if you don't like David Attenborough, just, yes, I love David Attenborough. He's getting pretty old, but he's pretty amazing at what he does. And I watch some of the uh, animal documentaries that David Attenborough does. And I'm amazed that even the animal kingdom understands the power of collective. That that within nature, the the lions, the the big cats, they know if they don't hunt together, they're not going to survive. A a pack of, of dogs, wolves in North America, they know if they don't hunt together and work together, they're not going to survive. Pretty well, every animal... And the kingdom out there in the animal kingdom knows we really got to work together. Even hyenas and jackals, if you're from Africa, they work together to scheme to get the prey off the lions that bring it back and actually do the kill. They just kind of hang around in the shadows because they know if they don't work together, they're not going to survive. It seems to me that the church is about the only clan that thinks they can do it without everybody else, that thinks, no, 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 it's an individual thing. As long as I'm happy, as long as there's enough for me in my house, then job done. And and there's no collective, and and there's a, a war going on, and that war is in every one of us. Don't look so pious at me right now because it's in me too. And that war is a me versus we war. It's a, I can do it, 
it's a, it's a, you can put it in different words. Selfishness would be a great word for it. It's, it's, it's kind of a faith, religion, believing in God. It's a me thing. Yeah, being, being the man upstairs, we're just fine, thank you. Oh, are you? Really? Is that what it really boils down to? Is just you? The whole universe is centered around you? And you're going to get your way? And, and, oh, I don't go to church because I don't get anything out of it. Oh, okay, wow, you're the hero of the story. It's all about you. Well, the collective called the body of Christ is actually in a collective called society. See, society, the very definition of society is, is order and purpose. If you look that up, society is where there's a collective of people that have order and purpose. We live in a society in the West where there's order and purpose. I know we don't like the speed rules and the speed signs and, and all of that, but there's order and there's purpose to stop people from speeding and killing everybody on our roads. There's order and purpose when it comes to power lines. When it comes to uh, all of the laws and all of the regulations, it's because we live in something called a society where there's order and there's purpose. Now, I've been in countries where there is no order and purpose. They don't have nice roads. They do have traffic lights, but they don't mean anything. I was in Jakarta in um, Indonesia, and and, uh, I'm like, oh, it's a red light. And I'm talking to the guy that's driving and it's, wait, you're going to go through the red light. We don't, we don't obey red lights here. Red, green, who cares? Straight through. We actually got hit by, or we hit a taxi that was next to us. I'm like, man, you're awfully close to that taxi. It's like, boom, move out of the way. And the guy's yelling and screaming. Nobody stopped. They didn't file an accident report. They just kept on going. And you get to an intersection. Everybody, you know, it's, it's meant for like two cars and there's like four cars or motorcycles with the fridge on it and the whole family, you know, everybody piled on the motors, motorcycles. I'm like, my goodness, do people die here? Yeah, the hospital's full of them. None of them have helmets on. There's no order. We have order because we have society. But society has community. And community within the church is supposed to be common unity. Community, do you get it? That means that there's purpose, and, and there, there, there's a purpose for us to gather together in community, but within community, there's family. Now, family, by definition, means we have a common ancestry. In other words, we've got a common bloodline. Does anybody know what your bloodline is when you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and you're born again? Jesus said, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of of God. You had a bloodline that had sin in it, and God delivered you from that. He engrafted you in. He adopted you into his family so that now we have common ancestry called family. Isn't that good? So we are a family that lives in a community, that lives in a society, that lives in the world. That's what we are. We're not separate from it, though. So many people in churches, they become little cloister clubs, as if it's the world against us. It's society versus us, our little clan. And they hate the world, and they hate society, and the problem with the society, and the trouble with this, and the trouble with that. 
No, you are a family with a common ancestry called the church that lives in a community to infect, if you will, the community, the wider group of people with the love of God, with the glory of God, the brightness of God to bring solutions to the problems, not to make the world your enemy. No, it's to love the world because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't love the Christians that he gave his only begotten son because there were no Christians when God gave his only begotten son. So we are a community, and this is one of our values that you'll see on the wall when you walk out. We are a community to influence a society. That's what our job is. Are we influencing the society for good the kingdom of God, or are we influencing the society with more problems, more headaches uh, as we protest? And who's going to win, me or, or we? So we hold it very dear as a church, community, society, church. All very great words, all very much to work together. All of those words work together. God's family is placed in society. In fact, I'd say this, that God is the ultimate family guy. Our God instituted family. So if you're born again, you're in that family. And I think about family and how powerful it is. I think about the crime families, the cartels. Uh, how, how, how powerful are they? Why? Because they stick, because blood, man, blood. We're blood. You mess with one, you mess with all of them. Back in the, in, uh, when Livingston was going across to Africa, bringing the gospel, the good news to tribes in Africa, he cut covenant with, all the, with the, every tribe that he could. They, they mingled blood together. That's what they did. They, and they still do that in places in, in Africa. They, they did that in North America with the American Indians. They cut covenant so that what they were saying was, we're family now. Somebody messes with you, they've messed with me. We're no longer just individuals. Our blood has been mingled, so we are common ancestry. We have blood now uh, flowing through our veins. We have a commonality. We are family. We stick together. That's covenant. I think about the power of that. I remember reading some of uh, David Livingston's uh, memoirs that when he came to cut covenant with the different tribes, they would give him a symbol uh, from that tribe. He would carry that or wear that around his neck so that when he went to the next village or the next tribe, they would look at that and they'd go, oh, we don't want to kill him because look what he's wearing. He's, he's wearing a symbol of covenant which says, touch that guy, kill him, that whole tribe, all of his family now that he's cut covenant with, you're going to have all of them to deal with, don't mess with him. Family and covenant are, are fantastic things. They, they, trans, they transcend nationality and language. There's places where I've been in the world where I'll, I will be picked up at the airport by complete strangers, but they're family. I remember once going to Pakistan, and you don't preach the gospel in Pakistan freely, and, you know, it's a Muslim country, and it's where uh, Osama bin Laden, you know, was camped out, and, and it's a very dangerous place. But I remember getting picked up at the airport there by complete strangers and ushered into their homes. 
and getting a back massage after a very long flight and a foot massage and, and getting fed beautiful food. Uh, I love Pakistani and Indian food. Just a little hint, hint, if anybody cooks good Indian, uh, chicken tikka masala, you know, I like a good vindaloo, whatever, whatever, just saying. Uh, but, but immediately, with complete strangers, they were family. We had one common ancestry, the Lord Jesus Christ. We had a common bond that, that transcended just language and, and, and the culture of our nation that we were in, what, whatever the difference is. It, we were family and hugs and embraces and prayers and, and incredible love getting poured out. You are a member of the most powerful family on the planet. As soon as you make Jesus Christ your Lord, you become family. The thing is this, act like it. Stop acting like you're not, because that's not going to bring revival that this world desperately, desperately needs. I like what Hebrews uh, 12 says, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. What is that? That is family. It's all those that have gone before you that are in heaven. They're, they're, they're like up there cheering you on because you are alive in Jesus Christ. You can still do whatever they didn't finish. It's up to us to finish the job, to get on with it. But you can be a family and not act like family. And that's the thing, the mystery. The early church was a community. They were a family, and they acted like it. So a few points to see revival. Number one, live to make your church strong. Not just you as an individual, what you can get out of the deal. Live to make your church, wherever your church is. Again, you know, city church may or may not be your church if you're watching on YouTube or online. Hopefully you go to some church somewhere in this world. Live to make, whatever that church is, live to make your church strong because your church is family. Look to strengthen your church family at every opportunity. Listen to Galatians 6.10. Listen to what uh, Paul wrote. Therefore, as we have opportunity, and we have a lot of opportunities to make the family of God strong, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. What do we talk about? Household of faith. Another word for that is church. Live to make the church strong. Number two, speak life into your church. Talk to make God's church strong. Talk good about your church. Talk like you are, are for your church and not against it. The thing that really gets up my nose is when I hear people just bagging churches and looking at the problems and talking as if they're not part of that family. And I think, well, are you born again? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? If so, why are you bagging your family? What is wrong? Why do you trash your family? Nobody does that. Not talk like an outsider. Stop it. Stop talking like a foreigner. You don't trash family. You want to, we want to see revival? Then we've got to start with our mouth. Let revival fill your mouth. Stop talking about the problems. Start pointing out the flaws. Stop it. <laughs> Just quit. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Before, uh, oh, never mind. <laughs> Nobody does that. When I, when I was 
growing up, we had a mixed, mixed family. So there were nine of us in total, seven kids lived under one roof, and it was his, mine, and ours. That's why my parents used to joke about that, because we had half, uh, half sister, uh, stepbrother, and stepsisters, and then a real brother. We were just a mixed group of people, and dad liked to get married, and so this was his third marriage, and we're living, you know, under the roof with a whole mixed kind of family. And to put us all together and, and you know, get us to love one another, what a job that was. But, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty amazing at the table because I like to eat. I get hungry. I was skinny as a beanpole, and I could eat, and I still can eat. The only thing is I don't stay skinny as a beanpole anymore, but... Uh, you know, I was kind of, I, I ran uh, distance, I ran the two mile, so track and field. I would come home, and I was just ravenous. So whatever my stepsisters couldn't eat, my brothers and I would eye that off. It's like, we're, we are the hyenas, you know, in Africa. And so there's food dished up, and, and stepmother can make a whole bunch of spaghetti, and it's like, okay, you know, who's going to get the leftovers? Because girls just don't eat as much as guys. It's just the way it is. Am I right? Most of you guys agree. Uh, and so at the table, it was quite, it was a pecking order. It was like, okay, Susan's going to, she's not going to finish hers. So dibs, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> you know, well, if Deb can't finish hers and if Diane can't finish hers and, you know, Marilyn came along, she was little, she can't finish. It was like, I'm in there for that. Like, I, I need more than just my portion. I need your portion and your portion and, you know, everybody's portion because I'm, uh, I'm really hungry. But I was told, don't talk with your mouth full. And, you know, my stepmother was very much a disciplinarian and I'm very thankful for that. Uh, she taught us manners, of which I threw all those manners away, I might add. But, uh, so if you had your mouth full of food and you were talking, it's like you got a smack. Spaghetti everywhere, you know? Like, uh, don't talk with your mouth full. Well, I want to say this morning, talk with your mouth full. Talk with your mouth full of encouragement for the church. When you come to the table, talk good things, have your mouth full of good things, or shut up and don't say anything and don't roll your eyes because that says volumes too. Be encouraging when it comes to the family or the household of God. We are not going to see revival just through an individualism and pointing out the faults of the body, the bride of Christ, hello, the body of Christ. We are not going to see revival bagging God's family, God's church, God's bride. It's not going to happen through an evangelist, through a revival meeting, through even through just us praying. We have to get family together. We start to act like family. Why? Because you are. If you're not, what are you? You need to get saved. Seriously. If you're saved, you're family. If you're not family, you're not saved. That's just the way it is. I can't make it any plainer than that. But if you got something to say, say it with your mouth full. Fill your mouth with encouraging words because family shouts for one another. Family believes in one another. Family encourages one another. Number three, think serve before self. Now, I'm going to go into this, and I'm, the clock is my enemy every single meeting. I look at that clock, and I think, are you kidding me already? Acts chapter 5. 
There is one of the most challenging encounters in the New Testament, and as new as you can get, the book of Acts. So it's not like under the Old Covenant. I do understand the difference between New Testament but Old Covenant, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But we're talking about not just the New Testament, we're talking about the New Covenant after Jesus rose from the dead, after the Holy Spirit was poured out. We are there in the book of Acts chapter 5. Now, a man named Ananias, Ananias, and you know this story, and his wife, Sapphira, they're about to get killed. Just spoiler alert. Likewise, sold their farm. And they conspired to secretly keep back, get this next word, because I believe it's what stops revival. They, they decided secretly to keep back for themselves a portion of the proceeds. Now, you might say, well, I'm not, you know, holding back money, blah, 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 you know. But you're holding something back if you're not family. If you're not part of what God's doing and you're not contributing and you're not for the family, what, what are you doing? Revival's not going to happen. We want revival. So they held back for themselves a portion of the proceeds. So when Ananias, Ananias brought the money to the apostles, it was only a portion of the entire sale. God revealed their secret to Peter, and he said to him, Ananias, why did you, not, why did you let Satan fill your heart and make you, and, and make you think you could lie to the Holy Spirit? Now this, this next bit, you only pretended to give it all. I find that the church is full of pretenders. Oh, <laughs> praise the Lord, Pastor Ed. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Brother. But what's the reality? And I said this last week. God can only anoint the real you, not the pretending you. See, God won't even anoint the intending you because the, what you're intending to become, that person doesn't exist yet. The pretender and the intender does not exist. God cannot use your intentions and your pretense. God can only use the actual you. Who are you really? And so they pretended to give it all. It says, yet you hid back part of the proceeds of the sale of your property to keep, here it is, for yourselves. And this is why the church does not see revival today. More than the fact that we don't have revival meetings, we don't get a big evangelist in, have fire meetings and all the rest of it. I'm not against that stuff, but that's not going to bring revival. Family is going to bring revival. When the church realizes you are family and you start acting like it, then there's going to be revival. Until we do, it ain't going to happen. Oh, it's quiet in the Presbyterian church this morning. Somebody said... Before you sold it, it wasn't yours. Was it not yours to sell or to keep? In other words, you belonged to, it belonged to you. You could have done it. And Anyway, they dropped dead. Ananias first, then Sapphira, his wife. She lies again. She, he, they come in, they carry her body away as well. And it spread throughout the whole community. Don't mess with God. Don't mess with God's family. Don't think that you're going to get away with it, talking trash about the body, the bride of Christ, that you're going to get away with it. There will be consequences, but I think about the missed opportunity of revival that's not going to happen until we pull it together and start behaving like the person that we are, a family member of the greatest, most powerful family on the planet. Number four, 
Number four, have faith for your church. Even when your church doesn't look like a family or a bride or his body, which is most of the time, have faith in your church. Ephesians 2.19, we're going to fly. Ephesians 2.19, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In other words, you are family. Number, uh, uh, still with that one, uh, Ephesians 3.6, the mystery is that through the gospel of the Gentiles and heirs together, with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together. Notice this, together, together, together in the promise of Christ. See, independence is not a fruit of the Spirit. Body, bride, building, they're all interdependent, rather, words. Number five, and the, and the music team will come back up, thanks. Number five, make church a priority. Even if you don't get your way, which is most of the time, prioritize church. You're part of the only family in heaven and on earth, so make it a priority. Have you ever been to somebody else's family event? <laughs> you got invited to their special event, but you're not family, you're, you're on the outside. Sometimes that can be really awkward. I mean, I've been to several where it's like, oh, okay, uh, I'm kind of watching them do their family fun and celebrations and all that. But, but isn't it good when you're an outsider, you get invited to somebody else's family event, and they make you feel like you belong? Isn't that good? Isn't it wonderful? Hey, come on. Hey, everybody. This is, this is Ed. Hi, Ed. <laughs> Ed's, Ed's family. Ed's, you know... He doesn't understand our culture and the things we do in our family, but he's family. So, hey, come on, welcome. You know, you get in line first. That's why, you know, I'm, I'm big. I'm going to plug dinner party brownie and, and, all, and all you guys that go to dinner party. That's what din dinner party. Why? Why dinner party? Oh, you know, we don't need to do We should be having deep, deep meetings. You know, that's one of the deepest things you can do is to bring strangers into the family of God and treat them like royalty and not make them feel like they're outside looking in at your deal and you can feed them and have fun and have a conversation. Hello. Uh, I can't say enough about that. That's why we've prioritized dinner parties here in this church. Well, I want to have one in every neighborhood. Wouldn't that be amazing if we would do that? One in every neighborhood. See, theology and more Bible study, I love it, but that's not going to bring revival. It's going to be family, us together. That's what's going to usher in revival. We're people with no church background that don't even understand the Christianese and the talk that we talk will fit right in and feel like family. They don't get the rituals, perhaps. They don't understand all the jargon, but they know one thing. There's a group of people down there at City Church and wherever your church is that loves people. I owe my Christian faith to a family that invited me in. Mrs. Peterson, her husband Theo, that, that was his name. They invited me into their family, into their one-room uh, apartment. They were managers of, of the hotel where I was staying. And if it wasn't for them, if it wasn't for family and others, Eva McLaughlin, she had me over, and then uh, a lady named Sue Spisak, she would have me over. For, they would fight over who was going to get me for Thanksgiving. All had their own families. I didn't have one in San Diego. I was 
family, familyless, but they invited me in and they treated me like family, like one of their own. You see, they didn't talk, they didn't introduce me to theology before they introduced me to family. They didn't even introduce me to faith before they introduced me to family. They didn't even invite me to church before they invited me into their living room and treated me as family. Family speaks loud about what we're all about. They gave me family before they gave me theology. Ephesians 3, we're closing right now. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So I want you to shout like your whole family in heaven and on earth is conspiring for you. I want you to realize that this is not, revival's not going to happen because we become a fan club of Jesus and have big meetings uh, uh, where all the fans get together. It's not about fans. It's about family. That's what's going to usher in revival. So we need to act like it. It'll come when the church turns from being a fan into a family. We're not called to be fans. We're called to be family. I want you to stand, come on, stand and give Jesus a shout. I know we don't have drums, our drummer's playing acoustic guitar. Don't, didn't you love that acoustic set? Don't you love that? I did anyway. You guys are amazing. I wanna pray. We are truly about out of time. My heart breaks. I get passionate, I think you could tell. I, it, honestly, this fire burns in me brighter than any fire probably about any other subject about Jesus' family and who we are. My brothers and sisters, we fought a lot. We were still family, even though it was a mixed family. Doesn't mean, you know, a brother's born for adversity. If you got a brother and you're, you know, in a family, you're going to fight with your brother, probably, if you're normal. But we're still family. If you're looking for the perfect church where nobody offends you and you don't ever get in a spat with your brother or sister at the church or the pastor, well, keep looking. It's, you're never going to find it, all right? But if you want to acknowledge that God set it up, it's a setup so that you could grow up, then you'll start to discover something about God. He really is interested in your character becoming more like his son than anything else. And you will grow up when you put up sometimes and don't get your way, and you start to serve up. We could do a whole up thing on that one, but uh, God is so good. So let me pray for you. And I, want, I want to give those that are um, outside, perhaps, of the family of God you've never committed. Um, I guess, what are you waiting for? All your questions to be answered, not going to happen. I've got questions even today, some are still getting answered today, 40 years later. But there is a decision that you can make, but only you can make it. And that decision is to say yes to Jesus, not yes to a bunch of rules and regulations, but yes to him, because he loves you so much. He has invited you, an outsider, he has invited you into his family. So if you want to join the most beautiful family on the planet, and you want to become part of the household of faith, and you want to say yes to Jesus, then I invite you to be part of this prayer. And just pray this after me. Say, Dear God, I thank you 
for taking me just as I am and making me family. Jesus, come into my heart. Amen. Not a formula, it's, a, it's honestly a heartfelt prayer. God will take you from wherever you're at right now to much higher ground, places where you probably never even imagined. Now for the rest of us, and we're going to pick up this, uh, this stream of thought next week, for, even, though, even though it's Father's Day, I've got some things to share, uh, which I, I know you're going to get blessed, and so I'm really looking forward. Bring your dad, if you have a dad, if you don't, bring somebody else's dad, uh, come and celebrate fatherhood, and, uh, and let's just be part of lifting people up in our, our world, amen? So let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you for every person here and, and people that are watching online. I thank you, Father, for a revelation of revival. I thank you for helping us to see the missing pieces of revival and this particular missing piece, that we're family, that we can act like it, behave like it, speak in and encourage family. We want to see revival. I do anyway. I desperately want to see revival before I leave and go to heaven. I, I, I want to be able to go to heaven and say, we were part of the biggest revival that ever happened on the planet because we finally got it together and started behaving like the family, the household of God. So, Father, bless every person here. Help us to get the spirit of unity and family and overlook faults and stop trash-talking one another and start getting on with the main job of loving community, society, and the world in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.